0: Can 10 to 15 minutes of foam rolling beat an hour-long massage? Why is mobility more important than your workout? And could mobility be the missing link to unlock your true athletic potential? What's up, guys? I'm Clark from PaleoHacks.com, host of this show. Thanks for tuning back in. Uh, Today, we got Kelly Starrett coming on. He wrote the best-selling book, Becoming a Supple Leopard. And he's here today to talk about mobility wad and functional movement, a topic that's really complex and we don't get a lot of on the show. And my cat is trying to eat my microphone. Um, <laughs> a couple of announcements before we get into the show. PaleoHacks.com, articles, recipes, and our archives. Thank you for going over there and checking out the previous shows. Um, if you want to get a hold of me, Clark Dangerous is my Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, handle, whatever you prefer. It's all Clark Danger OUS. All right, that's it. You ready for the show? I'm ready for you to hear it. Let's go hear what Kelly Starrett has to say. My next guest founded his CrossFit gym over 10 years ago and has since put in over 130,000 training hours under his belt. Uh, He's a mobility expert whose blog got voted in the top 10 fitness blogs from Outside Magazine. Dr. Kelly Starrett, thanks for coming on, man.
1: Dude, my pleasure.
0: So a uh, little backstory of how I, how I got introduced to your work before we dive into this. Um, you ready for story time? Give it to me. So I did my undergrad in kinesiology, exercise science at a very small university, and the professor who ran it um, was super intense, like former British SAS, uh, always doing original research, and it uh, was, you know, make you do push-ups halfway through class every time. So oh, it's so good. Yeah, it was great. Phenomenal. But you don't say no to this guy. And so he invited us over for a barbecue, and you can't say no to him. So we're over there for a barbecue, and when we're waiting for everyone all the meat to get cooked. I'm looking at his coffee table, and he has one gigantic book on that coffee table and nothing else. And it's Kelly's becoming a supple.
1: Episode. Oh man. Well, you know, it's because it was so heavy. He, he probably didn't train to lift it. He put it there one time, you know, I don't know if he was married or not, but it either kept the women away appropriately or enticed the women inappropriately or something. But, you know, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing, you know, you know, as allegory that experiences, we're seeing that you know, we are crushed with data and information right now. And, and I, I would, I don't mean this as any disrespect to our fitness brothers and sisters who are are working on solving the problems of the human condition. But there's a lot of noise out there and it is a very crowded space. And I think sometimes it's it's easy to – you start following a master or you follow a train of thought and it's hard to integrate someone's ideas – with all the other ideas, right? How do I make sense? So if I if I see a coach coaching, I, I try to really work hard on trying to understand what problems they're trying to solve, and say how does this fit in with the the global schema for what I know it works? You know, hey, I know front squatting and running is not a gimmick, right? But mm. what is it about front squatting and running? When we hear coaches say things like you know, gymnastics makes great athletes, I'm like, why does gymnastics make great athletes? Just because they're gymnasts, right? Is there something about wearing you know, being barefoot? Is that it? You know, yeah we should be, A, asking the the central question, what is it about the things that are working, right? And then second, all of the best practices need to dovetail in together. And, um, you know, uh, Buckminster Fuller has this concept and I've said this before. It's called mutually accommodating systems. And so when someone says something, it's important that I can reconcile that with my own personal experience, which is vast. And I'm not I'm not talking about me, but me at all, right? All of us are movers have been coached. And then it also has to conjoin with the other thinking in the sphere. And so when we someone has an outlier or a red herring or some piece out there that doesn't make sense, we either have to reevaluate our current model or they need to reevaluate their model. And, and what's, what we've really tried to do with our work is being able to give voice to some of the, you know, commonalities of things that we're saying, you know, these are the – this is what we know about high-level human performance and we should be able to spin that backwards. And so I think we've seen BASL go crazy and be used in a lot of strange places because yeah. we were really trying to give pat- voice to the patterns underlying the processes that we know work.
0: Okay. Um, so I guess to step back, then you know, drowning out the noise. There's so many voices out there, Kelly. How did you kind of settle in on on focusing in on mobility and mobility wad and really having a passion for that?
1: You know, first, it's interesting. If, you know, if you ask my wife, you know, she'll say, you know, people forget that you coach. And like my number one passion and primary passion is actually coaching, and I'm a decent coach. I'm not saying I'm an Olympic lifting coach, but I can coach Olympic lifting and I can coach movements and I teach across you know, cohorts. In fact, one of the things that has always driven our work and my thinking mm-hmm. is that I have to be able to tell the story in a straight line from the child development of skills up to the Olympic athlete, right? from moms and dads down to injury. I need to be able to see a coach at Mall around that. And Some of my early influences, you know, I started teaching formally – complex skills. I started teaching whitewater kayaking to adults when I was 14. That was my first like serious serious teaching job. And then at 16 I was teaching scuba, and so I've been teaching my whole nice. life. And and been taught my whole life. I've always had high level ski instructors, high level kayak instructors, right? And you know, in my racing. So I was exposed to early lots and lots of coaching, high level coaching became a teacher and then I was exposed to people like Mike Bergner who was an amazing Olympic lifting coach and he not only was a high-level Olympic lifting coach but he was able to teach young kids at high school so he was a master of getting freshmen to learn how to snatch and his thinking was so clear and so distilled that he could take a very complex concept and distill the constituent components down to a beginner so that he could lay the foundations all the way up to you know to the complex of the Olympics and actually programming for Olympic athletes. So I was on the national slalom team in Whitewater, had a really bad injury, decided to go to physio school discovered cross at the same time and those things really two trees that kind of grew together and you know the root of your question is how did I ultimately discover mobility well you know I'm a, also have a clinical doctor in physical therapy sometimes people forget you know I'm not just a bro science guy like I actually came through a formal yeah. you know formal education around this and have seen this and seen the research and understand all that but at the bottom line I still have to solve the problems of the day and all of that formal movement science is important but it's also important to say how does – now how do I teach air squatting to kids and to adults and then how do I advance that and what are the, what are the commonalities of patterns? And what we started to see was in the CrossFit language – and we're not the only people who do this but we do it really well – is to create a sort of codified movement language, right? And when you hear the, the old maxim just, just, just thrown around as like a punchline – Constantly varied functional movement. What that really is allegory for is: Are you expressing all the things that a human being should be able to do? Right, and and, and that is the formal language of, of of human movement is 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 in the gym, right? Mm-hmm. Pistol, rolling, handstands, push up pull up squad these are all different archetypes and shapes that really create a root movement language in a very formal way so that we can go out and then be you know dynamic and in these strange positions and do all these things but we have to teach right. basics right that's why you know a lot of modern ballet dancers are really good because they came through a ballet tradition and they had formal movement skills formal dance training before they became you know freestyle dance training right we see the same thing with a lot of our freestyle athletes some of the best freestyle athletes You'll come out of a formal tradition and then go back, right? Like Jeremy Jones, as a snowboarder, was a high-level racer, very, very technical snowboarder, then started to transfer those skills out, right? And it makes, you know, otherwise we're just sort of we end up missing pieces. So as we were seeing all of these things happen through our gym, we were noticing the patterns and we were seeing more patterns. You you threw out there that we'd seen a lot of patterns, a lot of athlete hours in our gym. Yeah. But we started to be able to nail down, hey, what is it about the positions? And remember, I was a physio. And so I was seeing people for injuries in my physio practice. I was trying to reconcile the language, the very disparate language of physical therapy rehab, which looks nothing like actually how we train athletes at all. And now it's starting to change but like you know there's no squatting it's scooting on a bench or doing sliding heels and you know we don't teach hip hinging we teach bridges wow. and you know maybe some single leg balance work and and really trying to make sure i could i could reconcile what i was seeing and lo and behold we started to come up with a a more formal pattern of being able to assess things in real time before they were injuries, right? And then be able to fix them on the spot because the training session I just had done is a diagnostic tool. And that has all wrapped itself up into this thing called Mobility Wad. Uh,
0: so, question then on mobility. You know, a lot of people listen to the show. We've had CrossFitters on here to talk about CrossFit or functional movements or working out. And I'd say probably 80% of the people at home right now are listening go to the gym regularly, or do some kind of resistance training, um, I guess, why should they really focus on and pay attention to mobility? Why is it such a uh, an important part of, of what they're doing? Are they perfect already? And, well, and-
1: that, That's such a great idea, right? And a good question. How about this? So When we're talking to people about their fitness goals, this was on the side of the bus for a Uh pre-core ad, just I saw like two days ago. It said, help pre-core meet your fitness goals. And I was like, what the hell are your fitness goals? Like, uh, if you ask someone, what's your fitness goal? And they're like, well, uh, you know, be fit, be fitter, do stronger, right? They really can't even nail it down. And what the problem is, is that we've sold fitnessing to people, that as long as you can do a lot of work, it's all going to be OK. And we saw that tradition in the hmm. strength world just get stronger. Well, how strong I need to be? I don't know. As long as you can squat, like I don't know, like 700 pounds is probably strong enough. But like is there a strong enough for a runner? Is there strong enough for my mom? Is there strong enough? Should I be working on skill? Yeah. Oh, movement is a skill. Well, what are the end ranges? What are the benchmarks of that movement? If I'm on a cable crossover, a bicep curl machine, I have no stinking idea – what is full range of motion? What is normal for the human being? In fact, the physical therapists can barely decide on the language of normal. They're like, what is normal? Normal-ish. It's functional. I'm like, look, functional means I can get off the toilet and do my bra. It has nothing to do with can I express the physiology that I was born with? You know, and it it, it really gets me going because. People say things like, oh, posture doesn't matter and I'm like, yeah, there's no correlation between posture and pain but how about posture and function? That when you collapse and you practice breathing in a shitty pattern and you can't put your arms over your head, you should be thinking red flag. But if your only goals are to just get by pain-free, that's not a good enough goal for us. We haven't assigned goalposts or bookmarks. Now, if you can't hold two dumbbells straight up over your head with your arms not bent and your thumbs backwards, you have incomplete shoulder function, and it's one or zero, yes or no. Like this, you should be able to hold two fifties over your head without bending your arms. Yeah, your arms are bent. Yeah, right, which tells me it's that you're missing. them out. Yeah, your armpit is forward. I should be able to hold something really heavy over my head with little effort. And what we're seeing is we haven't told people what full range of motion is. And then when they impinge or have a rotator cuff tear or their shoulder hurts or they herniate and disc, we're like, yeah. yeah, that's just part of doing business. And I'm telling you, that sounds a lot like a Ponzi scheme to me. Yeah. So what we're seeing is in our practice is that when we resolve movement restrictions and we improve people's range of motion to full, right, can you squat down with your feet together and heels on the ground? Yes or no. That's full hip range of motion, full ankle range of motion. You don't have to believe in it. You may not use it, but that's full hip range of motion, full ankle range of motion. And the problem is, we don't. You know, we what we're saying to people: as long as you're at SoulCycle, bleeding out your eyes, you're fit. What we need to do is establish some benchmarks, which is exactly what our friends Greg Cook has done in the functional movement screens. At least try to p- put some pinholes in yeah. what we should be able to do and see. Right? Otherwise, we're just spending the genetics of the human being and when you wear out your knee we've got a surgery for that when you blow out a disc in your back we've got a surgery for that you know physical therapy gets paid when people are injured Hmm. right and it's very very strange that the physio process is often highly disconnected from the strength and conditioning process or the boot camp process and those things should be integrated fields on our becoming that we're seeing that the physio coach is starting to reach in and now the trainer and the athlete, the person training is starting to have a better idea. So mobility is do you know what you're supposed to do? Can't Do you know that your armpit is supposed to be forward and your thumb is supposed to be back? And do you have the requisite biomechanics to do it? And if you don't, that's part of the training process. It's not just about physiology. It's not just about did I get more weight on the bar because those are task-driven diagnostics and what we need to do is not then wait around for the the car to explode you know which yeah. is what we're doing it's yeah. madness yeah but it's changing because people are smart
0: yeah, so we, we were learning about the functional movement screening in that class at the uh, professor, and he was really drilling into mobility and movement. And I'm really thankful he did because this is was...
1: this is green tea, by the way. I just don't want people to think I'm just drinking coffee all the time.
0: Nice, I got a uh, I got some Air tea in my gun mug, Kelly. Don't oh. don't mess with me, man. Gun mug. Yeah, it's intense. So paleo. Yeah, so paleo. So we were doing the functional movement screening, and the whole concept was, as cliche as it sounds. And a truism, you can't build a house on a weak foundation. So would you try and build a multi-million dollar house without scoping out the land, without, you know, doing all these tests on the groundwork before you even build that up and it's just gonna come crumbling down. So what a lot of people are are probably doing, you know better than I do probably, um Is they're they're not worried about their posture or their movements, and they're just worried about the numbers on the bench or the numbers of their lifting or how much they weigh. And they're building up, up, up with incorrect postures that eventually come back to hurt them.
1: Well, you know, the the problem is that, you know, from the other side, the science doesn't support, right? Which means that it's either science, we're using science wrong, or we're not. You know, there's very little science that says this is how you should build a, an athlete and teach them to snatch. Right? Those mm. are those are teaching skills, and what we need to do is apply logic and this thing called the long game. You know, the problem with a lot of the way we think is that we're caught in the short term. Mm. You know, like you can be like Kelly, you probably should take some fish oil. Why? Well, I noticed that your omega threes are a little low in your blood test. Test, retest. I can see it. It's a tight loop, right? I may understand the genetics components to why I don't obsess, right? But ultimately, you know, I've got to take some omega-3s, right? And the the problem is as long as we don't clearly define what the end goal should be, we're going to continue to define, well, you know, take some fish oil, yes or no, or, well, you know, I, I ate fish last month. What's the problem? You know, and and – if we value the weight going up or our, our body composition, then that's what we're going to – we're geared towards. And w- the issue is that in the long game, we – you if I take fish oil today, I may or not, may not feel better today. In fact, I guarantee you. I took some fish oil this morning. I feel the same, right? Yeah. took fish oil last night because I don't – my omega-3s are low. I feel the same, right? But you know – in nutrition around performance, that if I can get my omega threes up, man, it's cardioprotective. But the problem is, most people do not experience the benefits of of good behavior immediately, right? They just don't, and we don't think in terms of scale and longevity because we're not wired wired that way. So you know what we see is that most of the injuries we have, if they're not pathological, or if they're not you know ca- you know catastrophic in the making, they're they are the result of what we call self-organized criticality. That at some point the tissue fails, or at some point you add enough speed to that open foot position when you jump and landed, and your knees were coming in, but it was okay when you squatted. But suddenly you're playing volleyball and you jump and land with your foot turned out, your knee comes in, and tear your ACL, right? And you and me aren't clever enough to connect the dots that I have practiced. Practice that pattern a million times. I've always jumped my foot, landed on the box, and my foot turned out, and my knee always comes in when I squat. And it hasn't been a problem, but today it's a problem. And that's because the system is sufficiently complex that it's difficult to derive on best practices. So, what we do instead is say, hey, if your foot is straighter and your knee is outer, did you lift more weight today? Yes. Okay, so let's tie this around performance. Let's not make Get about in prevention because you may or may not get injured, but let 's look at your breathing function. oh, it turns out when you slouch or you 're stiff through your thoracic spine, your next crane back it affects your ability to ventilate, so your mechanical ventilation efficiency is compromised and guess what your vo2 went down how do I know you just got smoked by this person in a better spinal position, you know even though you 're a better athlete hmm. and what we need to do is tie it into performance, which is what we 've always done we 've always said this is a performance driven model and that we will see that good patterning always yields better results. You know, that's, that's called technique. That's what we've been obsessed with as long as we've been humans. And in as long as we can keep the short-term bang for the buck integrated with the long-term process, I think we can lift heavy weights forever. I don't know when you stop becoming a skilled athlete. What you know, at some point as you age, you know you're not going to the engine's not going to get as hot. I guarantee you are not be able to run as fast. You'll not be able to lift as much. I just guarantee it, right? It's, a, it's a, but at what point do you become less skilled? What, what point does you not become a better competitor? What point can you not refine your nutrition and health? What point did you not get to work on your positional competency? And what we're seeing is we're just trying to tell the story of this consciousness change so that we can shift this into a conversation about skill, not into a conversation of effort because everyone now is working their butts off, everyone.
0: Yeah, yeah. it sounds very uh, preventative but almost sold in a way that is very real in the here and the now instead of like, oh, you should warm up and do your leg swings and do your uh, ball and socket rotations before you squat, so one day you don't get injured. That's that seems kind of. I am impatient. I don't necessarily want to do that. You know, um, it's kind of like the save twenty percent of everything you make now, so one day you can retire. Well, three percent of Americans save that much amount of money because we're very nearsighted. So if I am hearing you right, what you are saying is that you incorporate. The fish oils or the mobility exercises in the here and now, so you actually perform better, and you sell people on that performance of the here and the now instead of that distant day twenty years down the road when you may
1: or may not get injured. One hundred percent. And you know, one of the things that we do a bad job of is sometimes showing where we've been and our. We're, first and foremost, this is a call to anyone on the world. Always show your work. Always show your influences. Show like tell us where you came from. Like it's something I want to know: who were your influences? Who taught you? Right? You know, you, you didn't just come out of the womb. Like I can show you that. Like boy, I spent a lot of time around Greg Glassman. Foundational in my thinking. Mark Ripito, vital to my thinking. Right? The Olympic lifting. Of, you know, Carl Powley, Brian McKenzie, John Welborn. I can show you this pedigree of coaches who are influential in my thinking. Right? And and we want we want people to definitely. You know, be aware that you know you're coming from somewhere, you're going somewhere. If if we put the consciousness on the short game and the long game, right? Because we've worked it out enough to make principles, right? Then then we're gonna go a long way. It, it does matter that we keep the diagnostics on. You know, it's not an accident that it's more difficult to assess someone's ankle positional quality. And it's easier to say, did they go faster or slower? It's easier for me to track that, right? Yeah. And what gets in? So we, to to the extent, it's our fault because we have not made a good case for how to measure it or how to assess it, sure. right? So those things, those things are happening. I, I forgot where I was going with the crazy show your your coach pedigree, but you get the idea.
0: Uh, absolutely. And so I'm curious now, um, what are some of those things that you ask your athletes either at your CrossFit gym or people that you're working with or on your Mobility wad blog? What are some of those things you? add in to people so they do that prevent prevent preventation yeah. and uh and they can perform better. What are some of those?
1: Well and and I just remember what I was what I was saying, I'll tie this all together, is that you know in our work, we get to go behind the scenes of a lot of professional sports. I mean like we work with a lot of elite athletes. We have tons of world champion friends, gold medalists. We're always consulting with professional teams, elite military branches, universities, like the number of high level folks Trying to solve the same sets of problems, going as fast as human beings can go, right? Lifting as much as human beings can lift. Like th- these are our people. And and what we eventually see, because we get to go back behind the scenes a lot, is we get to see a lot of best practice, right? Where we can start to infer, hey, we're seeing how this all relates, sorry, this music's coming on. <laughs> we got a Anyways.
0: soundtrack, nice.
1: Sound check. One second here. <laughs>
0: Very good CrossFit music.
1: There it is. Everyone's gonna be like, "No, I turned it off." There we go. So, um, but you know, where we're going is you know we need to show people that these are our test cases. This is what we're learning, and our core model is test, retest, share, and we really believe Hmm. in the communitarianism model. And and it's 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 difficult because you you can get very fatty and very bro science and pseudosciencey. But as soon as you say it's measurable, observable, repeatable, leads to other ideas, right? Then, and then suddenly it's less bro-sciencey, isn't it? I mean yeah. that's, the, that's the core, you know, repeatability, measurability. You know, is it heuristic in nature? These are the cores of the scientific method and model. Just because there hasn't been done science, we start to develop best practices locally, and that's how we're going to see the changes. We just have to keep bringing in best practices across fields so that we can you know matter otherwise the amount of money we spend on low back pain and knee surgeries it's it's insane and yeah. it seems to me that all the people who i see a lot of people who move like crap who have back pain when we improve their positioning their back pain goes away and they return to function that's got to mean something right that's not just voodoo you know why because it's observable measurable and repeatable and if it's just one off i mean placebo works in 30 to 40 percent of cases across disciplines right Hmm. you know that's pretty powerful so but if i'm getting 90 to 100 percent change and continually seeing the same results at some point i have to believe that's called logic and patterning you know and that's that's what we're seeing now in the world you know it, it, it turns out you know Getting people off grain, you know, that was messing them up because we could measure it and getting to eat more vegetables and meats. Not a gimmick, you know. But the genetics on Kelly Starrett is that I can't eat as saturated much saturated fat as you can. I'd love to, but I just can't. Right? How do I know? Because when I eat full full blown Paleo like my friends, my cholesterol goes through the roof. My triglycerides go through the roof. Like you know, and In- that's
0: individual, yeah,
1: individual. That's why we say, hey, here's a practice pattern. Then let's tweak it to you, right? Okay.
0: Uh, So so let's talk to those 80% of people we were talking about earlier, you know, listening to this, going hard in the gym, weightlifting, and they're maybe hearing this call and they're like, hey, Kelly, I want to add in maybe two or three mobility exercises or best practices that aren't bro science. What would you, what are your go-tos that people should be doing?
1: Well, how about this? First and foremost is, you know, tell me about your sleep. You know, this is one of those Hmm. funny questions. People are like, what? And I'm like, look, the... You're training like an elite level athlete right now. You're, you know, you're burning it down maybe once or twice a day and you're only sleeping six hours, right? It doesn't matter. Like at some point, your sleep is not going to – you're not going to catch up. Like you're going to – you're burning the candle. So you're going to have to have first principles in first. Are you sleeping enough? Yes or no. You know, do you have a down regulation practice? Do you have a breathing practice? And we're really good at going from zero to 60 and we're really crappy at going from 60 to zero. Tell me how you wind down. You yeah. know? Oh, I drink paleo margaritas. Oh, that's how you turn off everything. <laughs> right? Like, oh, so you're self-medicating so you can go to sleep. Or you use Ambien. Or you use THC every single night to go to bed. And I think what we need to understand is that the big principles, the, the, the dams, of blocks of performance are universal and we can talk about the micro. But once we're into this let's talk about tissue quality, because let's assuming that you do get eight hours of sleep because you're killing it as an athlete, right? That you eat like a human being, not like a jerk, right? Yeah. And you know you've had you've had and let's define that six to eight fifths of vegetables today, yes or no, one or zero, right? Just because you ate, you know, a bag of meat and uh, you know, in some emergency, does not make you a good eater. Like that's really lazy, acidic eating, right?
0: Green supplement.
1: <laughs> no, I'll just take this pill and eat this steak. It's yeah. totally fine, right? I'm I'm paleo, so you know we get some of that dialed in, right? Then we can say, hey, let's just start low. How do you know if a tissue is normal or not? If I, how how would I assess whether your quads are normal or not?
0: Uh, range of motion.
1: Which range of motion? In which position? In flexion or the hip is in extension?
0: Probably in an extension.
1: Huh. It's probably both, isn't Fully it? Fully lengthened. Yeah. It's, it's weird how you think, but your quads work when you flex your knees too, right? So yeah. this is the problem. So we need to tie those individual tissues ultimately to movement. Okay. So I better have a movement practice that understands what is the benchmark. Okay. The second piece we can do is just push on a tissue. If you land on the crossball ball or someone, take your loved one, and have them stand on your quadriceps. If you black out from pain or it hurts at all, those tissues aren't normal. How's that? Hmm. Like if you apply pressure to any one of your tissues and it hurts, you've discovered stiffness and sensitization in those tissues. That tissue is disnormal. Start there. If it feels like beef jerky, man, and you know who I'm talking to, the beef jerky athletes out there? Not painful but stiff. I'm like, what are we even talking about, right? Like that tissue is stiff not painful so it's if it's painful or if it's stiff it's not normal yeah if you lay on a foam roller which is literally a child's pool toy let's be totally honest that is very low level and it hurts your quads or the insertion of your quads and IT band you have big problems if you stop breathing because it hurts so bad dude you, that's a red flag that your nervous system is firing itself up to try to protect you because that tissue is so sensitive
0: so i can't roll out my IT band it hurts too much on a foam roller what does that say is that-
1: it says that you're having probably yeah. – either you're totally under massive stress. Your tissues have gotten tight. You have an adaptation error because you sit on your butt all day long in these mid-range positions and your tissues adapt to that or you move like crap when you squat and run and, or you don't have full hip function. And those tissues have become adaptively stiff. So the model is we can always improve the quality of the tissues but we also need to improve the quality of your movement practice which is not exercise, right? Yeah. Yeah. A movement practice can be exercise, but I ask people. You know, I was lecturing at Stanford Med School, and I uh, have all the doctors raise their hand. I'm like, "How many of you guys have a uh, movement practice?" And Everyone's hands go up, and I'm like, "What is it?" And the guy's like, "I'm a runner." I'm like, "That's a sport, not a movement practice." And mm-hmm. then this person's like, "I'm a swimmer." I'm like, "Oh, that's another sport." And they're like, "Uh," and this and this girl's like, "Yoga." I'm like, "Movement practice, good job." Hmm. Huh. May not you may not come super fit, but that's a movement practice because you're touching all the things that the human's supposed to do, right? You can pull out Thomas Myers and suddenly you're like, oh, I understand yoga. Or you can pull out Jeffrey Maitland and the, you know, the manual therapist and from physio, you know, physioland from Australia, and you're like, oh, I understand yoga. Pilates, yoga practice, CrossFit yoga practice, strong first with Pavel, you, you know, movement practice. And all of a sudden you are tying in, you're starting to see if I'm not systematically addressing and improving my quality, because it's a moving target, right? Go ahead and have a baby, don't sleep. Then fly to the East Coast a couple times on business, right? Mm -hmm. Run a marathon and tell me what happens to your tight-ass hips. Like they're going to (laughs) get tighter, right? And that's the point is that this is always a moving target. And what I did today in my training is how I'm assessing where I am as a human being. This is why if I only ride my bike – it's going to be really difficult to understand what's going on, right? And this is why people get so confused. Well, I'm curious then,
0: uh, go back to the movement practice versus uh, the fitness and sport. What's that uh, definition?
1: Well, you know, fitnessing, right? So how am I fit enough to get on a bike and just pedal until my brains fall out? You know, like... I, I train – like my training regimen is I lift some heavy weights. I do a lot of bodyweight stuff. I talk to my positions and I'm training for another big, long, open ocean paddle race, which is from Molokai to Oahu. There's some paddlers out there listening. And uh, the Molo one. Solo. Right. Yeah. and um, But so I spend a lot of time in this cardiorespiratory bucket training these these capacities, right? And it would be easy if I defined fit as I hit my wattage goal that my coach assigned me. Am I fit? Well – Not if I'm missing – I have incomplete shoulder range of motion so that when I paddle, my shoulder comes forward and all of a sudden I'm in a compromised shoulder position, right? Yeah. But it's difficult in the complexity of the sport to see the benchmarks of the range of motion. This is why we advocate for people having a formal gym practice because it's a way of quickly and easily making the invisible more visible. How do we understand what we're seeing? How can I tell you're missing interrotation in your swimming? Well, every time you swing a kettlebell or do a push up, your shoulder comes forward. Ah, I can see it, right? Mm. Right there, and then I can fix it. So, what we need to do is make sure that your movement practice is expressing all the things a shoulder should do. And if it can't, you just found some way of getting better. It may not mean you ever have pain, but I can guarantee you, you are compensating around that incomplete range of motion. Mm. Uh, so, someone
0: listening, and and the question earlier, where we're talking about two or three things they could maybe do to
1: get more range of motion or something like that, and but range uh, of motion by itself without the motor control is uh-huh. like having a lot of you know money in the ATM and no card to access it, right? Uh-huh. You you need to have a skill. That's a, movement is a skill. You're not a piece of meat. This is why doing yoga or just doing like yin yoga, yeah, flopping a leg down and spending two hours and you know. And, and pigeon pose doesn't necessarily correlate to squatting, does it? Yeah. No. It's just, I'm just stretching a tissue out and I hope it magically connects back over here. That's our problem with that.
0: Yeah, so you need both. Both. Okay. Um, and so with the CrossFit practice, I know you're big on that, 130 hours of training under your belt, uh, 10 years at your gym. It, it, you put that under the functional movement? You,
1: yeah, that's yes. So what we're saying is, hey – if we're going to define functional movement, we better define what full range of motion functional movement is, right? What is the full capacity of the shoulder in this position? And when we do that, then suddenly positional quality is also encapsulated in the motion. Look, if you and I are deadlifting mm-hmm. and you don't stand up with a deadlift all the way, are you counting that as a PR? Yeah, no way. <laughs> well, Why not? Bar went up. and I pulled it as far as I could. Well, that's what we're doing with – Ankle range of motion. You know, if you don't have full ankle range, are you are you moving the thing? So we have some defined goals ish, right? But if you do a dip and you don't extend your elbow, is that a dip, right? No, your elbow's stuck bent. Yeah, Yet a lot of people are so restricted, missing so much interpretation, They can't lock out the bench press, they can't lock out the dip, they can't lock out the muscle up. But we count those as full range of motion. And this is always going to be a compromise as long as we value, you know, exercise as a sport we, we are we kid around tongue-in-cheek because we work with so many amazing crossfit athletes and we're such fans but pull-ups are not a sport right getting up and over a bar on the way to doing something else is a sport but as long as we say the only thing that matters is your head going over the bar or your chest touching the bar and become agnostic about how you get there mm-hmm. we lose track of why we're doing pull-ups in the first place which is teaching a stable shoulder off of a fixed object, right? And that's that's where it starts to get messy is that we don't establish. So we don't establish benchmarks. So in gymnastics, for example, on the rings, if you touch the rings, the strap, it's a deduction. Why? Because if you touch the strap, you're in a bad position, right? Hmm. The only way to not turn, touch the strap is to turn the shoulders into a, a stable position, which also matches the mechanics and they've built the aesthetics into the movement. And so... You know, until we start doing that stuff, you know, it's just going to be a who can work the hardest thing. And then we get confused because we're like, hey, am I competing, which doesn't matter? Right? Push-ups are difficult to judge for competition, isn't it? Right? Yeah. What's the, yeah, you know, my head is back. What's going on? We have to have all this craziness. Or you know, do we understand that we're using push-ups to become better at getting up off the ground when I do soccer or getting up off the ground as a kid? or right? you know, that, That's the goal. Makes push-ups make me a better swimmer. Yeah. Um, So
0: going back to kind of functional movement and that theme and seeing sports and functional movement differently, like – No,
1: no, no. Sports are based on functional movement. Sports are
0: based on functional movement. So it's not necessarily what I'm hearing, what you do that one hour of the day in the gym or something like that, but the other 23 hours – you can't ignore those just because you're doing some sort of practice that's one hour and really good. Like going to the CrossFit class for one hour doesn't mean the other 23 are all fine and dandy. And I know you have a uh, a book coming out uh, called Desk Bound that kind of talks about the other 23 hours. Is that
1: but it? Does you know and and um, what we're what we've seen in our practice and our experience is that you know people are expecting to come into the gym. And that, that one hour practice covers everything and makes up. You know, if you let's let's just take this out of training for a in, in in your movement and let's go back four hundred years to when Musashi, who's a famous Japanese swordsman, wrote this book called Book of the Five Rings, where he says your combat stance is your everyday stance. The way you stand is the way you fight. Like why would these be integrated? Why would I think this is the best position to jump and land and pick something up? And yet, uh, I'm not in the gym so it doesn't matter how I pick up my backpack or this pillow or how I stand or walk, right? The reason we're doing that is either because we just hope we get magically strong or that we're actually training positions because they transfer into less loaded shapes. The other thing is that you know, the research is very clear that if you sit more than a couple hours a day, you have big problems. and If you sit you know, six hours a day more, you fall into a category called sedentary lifestyle. And I guarantee you that most of the athletes listening are sitting more than six hours a day. Why does that matter? Really affects your physiology and it affects your your tissues and your ability to get into these positions. So what we came up with was we saw that, you know, we were seeing mechanical, biomechanical changes. Dude, I love the way you were holding that gun over the top, all gangsta shoot with your thumb on that.
0: Telling you the the calls don't mess with me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's right, that's right. And, you know, it's, it, it's interesting is you, you picked it up in a more stable position and over the top is more stable, right? Oh. That is a more stable position That's than reach. Uh, grip. There it is. If you get a hook grip on that trigger, it's the best. <laughs> but, you know, what we saw was that a lot of people, we were undoing a lot of the rigors that was being, in, you know, put on the person because they were sitting at a desk all day long, yeah. right? Hey how, how come I you know my, I don't have overhead range of motion in the press well you you've been bent over this keyboard, or maybe not, maybe that's not it. Maybe you just came out of the womb bent and you'll never put your arms over your head. Call it good, you know, or hey, when we would take that you know toxic position, which isn't toxic momentarily because I should be able to do it, but for sustained periods of time, dude, that's wolf's law that is. Daniel Coyle's brain patterning, the way we do one thing is the way we do everything. Practice makes perfect. No, practice makes permanent. So we seem to assign values to skill acquisition, but we don't think about being skilled movers day to day in our in our lives. And somehow there's a complete dissociation. Hmm. You know, like we try to simplify movement and so that we can get h- more highly reproducible performances. So if I organize my spine and, sen- and, and, and hip hinge and use my knees to adjust for position and tension, well, that turns out to be the way that they're setting the world records in deadlifts, but it also turns out to be a way where I've prioritized the spine based on functional movement. I've loaded the hips and the hamstrings, which is working in a wave of contraction from trunk to periphery, and I'm using the knee to tension that preloaded system. And if I do the same thing every single time, Some pulls don't feel good, and some, no, they all feel good because I I have reduced the movement variability, which seems to matter if I'm serving or golfing or, right? You know, people have forgotten that, you know, there's a distinction. And, you know, all of those things also, if I stand correctly, boy, I reclaim my center of gravity over my feet, right? These are integrated concepts. And so if I have to, again, if I have to discard some aspect of myself to get something else done, then there's a a hole. you know, people are, you know, people are like there's no there's no published research about sitting technique. I'm like, because sitting is an aberration in the human physiology. You're not designed to sit. Yeah. Right? And what do you mean there's no research? Are you telling me that collapsing forward and sacrificing my diaphragm and causing pelvic floor dysfunction are not a problem? It's a problem for my my wife if she pees herself and she jump ropes, right? Why is right. pelvic floor dysfunction a 2 billion dollar industry in America? Well, I guarantee you that it has something to do with the fact that we sit around a ton, right? So the key here is that we want people to take their, for, their formal movement practice into all other aspects of their life. And that's what we've done with S-Bound is try to give people the, the basic tools to the most mundane and banal movements and postures for the day. So that, that when it does matter, when I'm stressed – when I'm fighting for my life, when I'm snowboarding, I won't default to the thing I've practiced tens of thousands of times in a bad position. I'll default to the thing that I practice the most time.
0: So uh, with desk bound and kind of posture and everything we've been talking about, of course, incorporating sleep and nutrition and all that, what are, what are maybe some takeaways that the person at home right now uh, can walk away from and start trying out or incorporating in their life? Do you have maybe two or three of those that come to mind?
1: Well, you know, we like to say uh, one is you need more non exercise activity in your day, right? You're not moving enough. So the physiology of the human is designed around movement. Your lymphatics work because your muscles contract and drive the lymphatic system out. So if you're not if you're not moving, then your lymphatic system is not working and you get congested tissues. And if you're congested, then they get stiff, et cetera, et cetera. So what we see is that people are maybe doing a heroic effort getting to the gym, but they're not doing a good job of trying to move the rest, the rest of the day. You know? yeah. And that means when you have an option to sit or stand, sit or stand, don't sit. Right, remove the optional sitting. There's plenty of sitting in your life that's not optional. You're gonna have to sit at the in the toilet. You're gonna have to sit, you know, in the car. You're gonna have to sit at the board meeting. Like there's some times where you're gonna be forced to sit. The rest of it is a choice. And standing is another form of movement, right? Um, I would say that uh, get your iPhone out of your bedroom. I can't sleep hmm. in a pitch black room. Your phone is not allowed in the bedroom, right? We, we really treat sleep hygiene like it matters. Yeah. I would absolutely think, you know, hey, I I would check out Wim Hoff, W-I-M-H-O-F. His he was on the thing, show. Wim is the man. Yeah, he He's, is. His practices have transformed our life. And I would say take a look at what our friends at XPT Life are doing. That's Brian McKenzie and, and Laird Hamilton and Wim, the application of some of those down regulation things. And then the last thing is start a soft tissue practice. Just start there. Grab a ball. Roll around 10 minutes before you go to bed on the floor. Tell me what you find. And what you're going to find is a whole bunch of junky-ass nasty tissue that has never been addressed. Huh. Okay, Kelly. That's nice. <laughs> so
0: uh, be- before I let you go, real quick, um, what would be like – what's your go-to roller or uh, piece of equipment that you don't leave the house without always in your gym bag? Do you have one, a recommendation?
1: Well, there's a couple things that I always travel with. I always travel with a Voodoo Floss band, right? And I travel with some kind of ball. You know, we have our own brands of those things, but my, more more important to the people is, you know, we've tried to show people that they can use whatever's lying around. A lacrosse ball only costs about a buck. Get a lacrosse ball, you know? What, go out, go to the, you know, the grocery, go to the uh, Walgreens and get yourself a princess inflatable ball and start rolling around on your gut on it. Doesn't matter where you're going, what you're doing, get some work done. Our, our template is, look, you need 10 or 15 minutes a day of basic soft tissue maintenance and working on your positions. You can break that up. 10 minutes a day is easy. If you, everyone has 10 minutes a day. Five minutes before we went to bed, first thing in the morning, you know, it's like brushing your teeth. You tell me you don't have time to brush your teeth. Bullshit. Yeah. So uh, you know, I, I, that's the bottom line. You know, If I had to travel with one thing, the supernova – you know is is the thing they travel with on rogue fitness that supernova is is the bomb okay
0: kelly my man you got a couple books out i know you have becoming a supple leopard which is the probably the the popular one out and about clearly my professor loved it and uh that's a good testimonial right there um where do people
1: go to find these amazon the best place you can find that at amazon there they have it in barnes nobles too you know um on our YouTube channel, we have about 600 free videos to get you started. And at MobilityWad.com, we, we realized that people wanted a little bit more, so we created kind of a professional site. And one of the things I'm really proud about on MWOD, um, mobilitywad.com, and that's Workout of the Day, Mobility, W-O-D, hmm. is that um, we've been programming a daily mobility routine for people for the last three and a half years. And so, if you don't if you don't want to think, you can log in and just follow the three minute video. And we'll tell you what to do today. Oh, and we'll tell you what really to cool. do tomorrow. And that's that simplifies the system because look, yeah. for sometimes and you know we're keeping an eye on the programming. And sometimes you don't need you know you need to know what to fix when your knee hurts. But the rest of the time, just tell me what to do. I mean, I love having a coach. I, I you know, Brian McKenzie's my coach. I log on you know to my Google spreadsheet, and Brian's like. Today you'll be suffering. Tomorrow there's more suffering. After that we're gonna do interval suffering repeats, right? Sounds and like then, fun. Then it'll be then it's an easy day, you know, easy suffering. And um, but it's so nice for me to just pl- plug and play that, that we understand that and we we try to give people b- basic recipes.
0: Yeah, that's awesome because it can be really overwhelming, you know, oh. mobility and functional oh. movement and where the hell do I start? And well, so- you
1: know, and if you put a lacrosse ball anywhere in your body on a hard surface you are like oh my god my whole body is a lie you're like yes that's true so get a little bit done today you know we you know when you see this I, I want people to understand that they've already solved this problem you know when you start to eat clean you're like you're horrified you know like you know there's gum in everything you know yeah. there's you know you're like oh my god there's the wheat yeah. it's like a conspiracy of omega 6s right and um, right. you know and soy lecithin i didn't even know what that was now I, apparently i'm eating like a kilo of it a day and uh, you know, or you can just say, "Hey, let's just do what you can today." Let's, how many vegetables did you eat? You know, did you get a fist of protein with every meal? You know, like, did you drink any water today? You know, like, okay, you are great. Add a pinch of sea salt to your water. So the idea is, let's begin with a practice, and then once the practice has begun, we can make the practice more sophisticated. Right now, we're um, we're putting the finishing touches on our online course. We've made a companion course to the book because a lot of people learn that way. Hmm. We have 74 videos filmed. It's about 10 hours of video, hundreds of questions about so that people can have a basic outline and template to understand the complexity and the underlying simplicity on their own movement practices. MobilityWad.com. That's, That's
0: it. it. All right, Kelly. Hey, you're welcome back anytime, man. This was an awesome show. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're busy. Oh, my dude. pleasure.
1: No, er- everyone. Everyone is busy, but uh, not everyone is working hard. There's a big difference.
0: Mm, but, you know, little nugget to leave people with. <laughs> Love it, yeah, thanks, man. True. Yeah, thanks, have, man. A go- have a good one, Kelly. Appreciate thanks, brother. it. Kelly, start everybody. Becoming a supple leopard. Are you ready to get your mobility on? Mobility is still that one area if I'm radically honest, I never do. It's kind of like flossing. Everyone knows you're supposed to do it when you go into the dentist. Oh, how many times do you floss? And you kind of exaggerate three times a week, four times a week, when really maybe it's two times a month. Uh, That's mobility for me, everyone. I don't do mobility, um, but I know the importance of it. And This this call kind of reconfirmed how important it was uh, because, you know, not to go on a tangent here, but the effects of sitting and being sedentary on your health and your mood and your well-being. Everyone knows that ism now, that sitting is the new smoking. And it's been linked to all sorts of um, diseases and shorter life expectancy and depression and uh, injuries, higher risk in the gym. So mobility is a way you can combat that instead of just trying to outrun it or go on long runs or, or whatever we try and do stand for eight hours a day. Sometimes that can be bad. Sometimes it's not as good. Anyway, guys, I cannot wait to read you this week's review on the iTunes page. And if you want to be featured on this section, go over to the iTunes page, drop us a rating and a review. It takes three minutes and you get a shout out on the show. Here we go. Uh, this one's from Cad Lady. I think that's how you pronounce your handle. Okay, Clark. You've bugged me enough, and I'm finally writing a review. I've listened to several different paleo podcasts, and this one is by far the best and is one of the only two podcasts that I like enough to subscribe to. Thank you. Clark offers a lot of different topics with a large variety of guests, and it's always fun and entertaining to listen to. I particularly enjoy how, no matter the topic, Clark finds a way to break out and give the audience a practical way to add new food, workout habit, or daily lives. Uh, they truly are hacks, and they help me keep my momentum. Thanks, Clark. Keep those podcasts coming. Hey, uh, Cad Lady. Thank you. Thank thanks to you. Um, this show isn't about me. It's about bringing content out of guests for you at home. And uh, the fact that you took the time to write a review on that, it means the world. It seriously, does and. Um, you know, I, I I appreciate your high praise in there. But again, the show's not about me. It's about the guests, it's about the information, it's about you. Um, so, really, really means a lot. All right, guys, if you want to be featured in that section, head on over to iTunes, drop us a rating and a review. It takes like three seconds and it helps our show a lot. And um, let me give you a preview for what's coming up. So, we just had Kelly Starrett last week. If you did not hear Nerd Fitness Call with Steve Cam, man, that was a must listen to. It was really... You got to you gotta have a couple cups of coffee to be on that energy uh, wavelength with us. Uh, just be prepared. And then Gretchen Rubin was the week before, which was all about habit change and the four types of people there are in the world and how you might be as stubborn as your cat. Um, okay, so next week... Let me pull up my schedule here. don't want to give anything away. All right. Next week, we have Dr. Dan Kalish making his return. I am so excited for that show. Maybe in my top five of 2016 so far. You definitely, definitely want to hit that show. Week after, we got Josh Trent, my main man, coming on to talk about emotional intelligence, technology, um, make fun of my Fitbit that I just got. Just kidding. We give you really cool practical steps on how to incorporate technology into your life and not be overwhelmed by it. Then we got Alyssa Vitti coming on to talk about women's issues, women's code, and uh, fertility, alternative uh, methods of birth control, contraceptions, uh, pregnancy, weight loss, hormonal issues, all about uh, show for the ladies. And I think that's on May 25th. Um, So that's all I'll give you a month out, month notice. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me, go to at Clark Dangerous on any social handle. I'm all there. Uh, that's Clark Dangerous. And Paleo Hacks, of course, follow them on Instagram, uh, Facebook. We're doing clips of these shows. If you want the teasers, be sure to like that Facebook page. And then, of course, our archives are the best place to um, listen to previous shows. All right. That's it. I love you guys. I will see you next week.